Okay, um, turn your Bibles to Judges chapter 10. And, uh, and as you're doing that, um, we're going to bring down Bibles, I believe. Listen, if you don't want to follow along with us in an actual Bible to open that up, we'll have people coming down the aisles. Don't feel weird about this. We pass them out every week. If you don't own one, it's our free gift to you. So just raise your hands high, and uh, one of the guys will, will bring a Bible to you. Um, I guess because today is, for whatever reason, an important day uh, for, for some people, um, because there's something happening later, uh, hopefully prayer, and, um, or something called the Super Bowl. I, I, just, I do want to ask, uh, just by a show of hands, or you can yell because uh, you're that crazy, um, but who here is rooting for the Carolina Panthers today? Okay, okay. So there's like about 11 people and one really loud fan. Okay. How many people are rooting for the Denver Broncos? Okay, great. And then we got a, we got a Cardinals fan here. All right. You know what I mean? Hey, we can all live in the past, friend. Um, I, for one, am a Saints fan. We had a terrible season, so it doesn't really matter. Uh, I, just, just so you know, and, and I talked to God about it, he is, he's rooting for the Broncos. And so uh, he's a big Broncos fan. Peyton's his dude. And so they're... They're really close. Um, favorite guy, I think, since Kurt Warner. And so, um, but anyway, so that, that's going on later. I do want to uh, point this out. A couple people sent me this meme this week. And um, if you don't know what a meme is, essentially picture a digital poster, right, that's supposed to have something quippy. And um, someone sent me this. It said, you should be as excited about church as, uh, as about the Super Bowl, okay? So when your pastor makes a point this Sunday, pour Gatorade over his head. And I'll say two things. One, y'all don't have enough Gatorade, okay? And then two, don't do that, okay? So I know who you are because your name was attached to the meme you sent, okay? And so if I see anyone approaching with any form of liquid, uh, I will punch you in the face, okay? So that's, that's it. Okay, uh, to the book of Judges. Enjoy yourselves this afternoon. Be safe. Um, let me give you a quick recap. We, uh, we need to go all the way back, and I've been doing this every week, and I've been doing it intentionally because in order for us to understand each week uh, what's happening in the book of Judges, uh, you do have to understand the overarching narrative. And I know we always have new visitors in here, uh, and sometimes you miss a week or two weeks, and so let me just give you a, kind of that, that flyover view of where we've been. Okay, so um, the people of God come out of Egypt, right? Moses delivers the people from Egypt. Uh, the, the new leader is Joshua after Moses. He leads the people into the promised land with one command, drive out the people this will be your land. While Joshua was alive, this goes really well, but then he dies and there is no leader to take over. And so this comes in and ushers in the season of the judges. And so we have this vicious cycle that happens multiple times throughout the book of Judges where we see uh, the people of God consistently rebel against God, cry out to God. He saves them, delivers them. There's some rest. And so this cycle happens over and over and over through the book of Judges. And we've seen this all the way up to last week landing with our judge last time, which was Gideon. Now, here's what I find interesting, and it was, I actually had some conversations with a good friend here at the church, this guy, Mark, um, and we talked through some in the Old Testament, and he really shined a good light, I think, on something for me, because we, we find men like Gideon and Jephthah and some of the other judges um, in the New Testament in Hebrews 11, where it speaks about these men of great faith, and how these guys, they, they make the hall of faith, and yet we've poured over kind of week after week after how boneheaded these guys were, and constantly it seems to me that they make some poor decisions. And the more that I realize, hey man, but, the, but still the Bible seems to place these guys who make terrible decisions at times still are men of high character and high, or rather of high faith, okay? Um, and I think this is good news for the church. Because if you're here and you're a Christian, I think we can all identify with something called hypocrisy, where we, we have faith in God, we trust God, we want to place greater faith in Him, yet we will go about making bad decisions, and that is okay because underneath the banner of God, because of the cross of Christ, we are forgiven and set free. This is good news for the church, good news for the Christian, because we can celebrate this reality of our brokenness amidst a holy and perfect God. Amen? Jephthah is much the same way. Okay? Our judge today is going to find himself committed to something that is blatantly sin that the Bible calls sin, that we would call sin, and he's going to go through with it, and he's going to do it because of his faith, and yet even in the midst of it, it is a terrible decision. And so I think there arises this 
constant conflict that we all experience of I have faith and, and, and I want to have greater faith and I want to trust God but I might make some terrible decisions as I go through this life. And in the midst of that, I, I want to say on the outstart that the blood and the love of Christ covers that. And so as we get, again, and we've said this every week, Judges is heavy. It is a heavy indictment, I think, upon the church today. As, as we study Israel, and let me tell you, Israel, as we look through the Old Testament, if you are a part of God's people today, this is your story, right? This is your history. This is your lineage. You look back to these people and you say, yeah, th that was my people. This is what they've done. And now we can look at ourselves and say, are we still in the same cycle, both on a macro level as the church and then a micro level as individuals? And so we've kept asking the question over and over each week as we look at this book, is this not us? Do we not see ourselves in these stories? And do we not then say, okay, maybe we should learn from history. Maybe we should say, yeah, that didn't work out super well, so we're going to try something different. My son, Finley, if, you, if you've known him, he's, he's 17 months old. He's this tall, but he just started to learn how to climb on top of things, right? Which is both like, way to go, man, and also terrifying, okay? And so there's this kitchen that we bought him, uh, and it's, you know, it's yay big or whatever. And what he does is he'll climb on top of this little toy kitchen. And then as soon as he gets up there, he can't get down. And so he starts to cry and freak out. And so, he, you know, da-da, da-da, you're amazing, save me, you know. And so um, he doesn't say any of that. It's mostly gibberish, right? But, but I know he's crying, he's upset. And so I, I get him down, and what is it? No more than 10 minutes later, where is Finley? On top of the kitchen, right? And so I say to him, hey, you're not very smart. Because we were just in this situation and you're allowing history to repeat itself. You know this is not good for you, and yet you're there again. And so daddy has to come in and deliver you from this present peril, okay? <laughs> this is the reality of the book of Judges, okay? That consistently the people of God, and I would argue into today, we have not learned from history. We continue to make the same bad decisions over and over, going after other idols, other gods, other things that will not satisfy and are not God, but we pursue them because we think they will. We find ourselves on top of the kitchen and daddy, father, heavenly God above has to come in and deliver us. Praise Jesus that he came and did it once and for all. And that's what we will track towards today as we look through the rest of this story. Now, if you are, again, if you're a note person, okay, we're going to go pretty quick through this. We've got uh, only two chapters to cover today. We did like four last week, so we're slowing down a little bit today. Um, but we've got, we've got two chapters, and I'm going to give you the thesis up front, right? So if you're a, a main idea person, it's this. True repentance must involve God. Okay? True repentance must involve God. So it's not behavior modification. We'll get into all this. True repentance must involve God. Okay? Um, I want to mention this right before we jump into the text. Prior to getting to Jephthah and after Jephthah, there are two judges on the front end and three judges on the back end that we will not address today outside of this moment. But I think what they do show us, and they give us a clear picture of, okay, we've got two judges that, that, that they kind of just cycle through and say, okay, this is what happened, and it's really quick, there's not a lot of story. And then three on the back end is to paint the current reality of where Israel's at. That even in the midst of hope that comes from Jephthah, this is still a bad situation. Right, this is, okay, and I can't believe this is my second Star Wars reference in a few weeks. I'm not that guy, uh, but I'm going to do it anyway. But if you, if you, for some reason, started Star Wars from the first three films, not recommended, okay? Um, if you started there, you would think, oh, thank goodness, Anakin has come along to be the hero, right? But if you're smart, you know this goes bad for Anakin. And so it allows for you, in the moment of watching the first three films, to see the spiral downward of this man who's supposed to be the hero, giving you a greater weight and depth of the brokenness of his soul. What we can know by knowing that this is not going to turn out super well for Israel. As, as much as Jephthah is going to step out in faith and even do something sinful in faith, this does not go well for the people of God. So here we go. The cycle continues. We'll look verse 6. The people of God rebel. The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. 
the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, and the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites and the gods of the Philistines. And they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. So they pursued other idols. They sinned against him. The next part of the cycle is servitude, verse 7. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of the Philistines and into the hand of the Ammonites. So the sin leads to this serving a new nation. Then we move into supplication. This is the moment where primarily the people of God, in the midst of the stress of the moment, in the midst of the persecution and the trial, cry out to God and say, please help us. And they're going to do that, but they're going to do something even a bit different and a bit more today that they have yet to do. Verse 10. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, we have sinned against you because we have forsaken our God and have served the Baals. And the Lord said to the people of Israel, Did not I save you from the Egyptians, and from the Amorites, and from the Ammonites, and from the Philistines? The Sidonians also, and the Malachites, and the Maonites oppressed you, and you cried out to me, and I saved you out of their hands. Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will save you no more. Go and cry out to the gods whom you have chosen. Let them save you in the time of your distress. And the people of Israel said to the Lord, We have sinned. Do to us whatever seems good to you. Only please deliver us this day. So they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord, and he became impatient over the misery of Israel, and he will now act. Okay, so we we, we get introduced to kind of a couple new things in the storyline here that we didn't have before when other judges were raised up. When other times when the people of God cried out, Lord, help us, they said, Lord, help us. The stress, the trial is too much. We need you to deliver us. They still do that here, right? Lord, come. We're hating this. This isn't good. Please come save us. But, but they have a, a, another little moment in here where, where they do something that we now today call confession. Right? So they acknowledge their sin, really, for the first time. So so leading up to this, it's just been, God, I I can't stand the circumstance that I found myself in. So God, pull me from this circumstance. It's just too much for me. But now they're saying, wait, okay, what brought me to this place? How did I end up here? And they say, okay, the reason why this problem exists, this trial exists, this occupation exists, is because we have sinned against you. We have turned against you. We have pursued other idols. So they move into confession. What a beautiful first step for the people of God. This for us today, I think we're starting to get there in the church. And by this, by in the church, I mean in redemption church. I can't speak for the spiritual confession health of other churches, but I will speak to ours and say more and more, I'm starting to hear from people, you and I, who are able to start speaking openly about our brokenness and sin and saying, God, this is what I've done. We, we seem to be hiding less, yet it's still there. I would say at best, at least most of us are willing to admit the sin to ourselves. So, so maybe we're not at the point where I'm going to go confess it to Anthony or confess it to Shirley or confess it. Right? I, I'm, maybe I'm not there with certain things. Hopefully I'm moving that direction. Hopefully I'm there. Hopefully Verity gets all of it, right? But I think at least most of us can sit and say, yeah, like I've, that, that was not right. And, and I would say this is true, hopefully, for Christian and non-Christian. If you're here and you're, you're not a believer first, thank you for coming. I know it can be weird to come into a church and you're talking about stuff you don't believe and you're singing songs you don't, you're just like, this is crazy and why are they doing that and yada, yada, yada. I get all of it. I was in your shoes for about 20 years of my life. So thanks for being here. But I would say all of us, regardless, Christian or non-Christian, we all know at the base level, yeah, that wasn't good. Uh, like, I dropped the ball here. I, I probably shouldn't have treated this person this way. I shouldn't have treated that person that way. And insert your thing. Like, we all have this basis for morality that is not just found in Christianity, right? The, the world has a morality outside, although I would say it's based in the gospel. It's not predominantly because they show up anywhere to hear it. Okay. So I think we all have these things, and we all know it. So I think maybe and hopefully we're moving to a culture who is a bit more self-aware. And so maybe, just maybe, we can become a people who do what the people of God here are doing and say, okay, Lord, the reason why my circumstance seems to be completely bleak is because of sin. Now, let me be very careful to tell you this. Sometimes the reality of the brokenness in your life 
has nothing to do with your sin at all. It has to do with the sin of someone else. Okay? And, and so sometimes it's, listen, maybe you, you were just crushing it, right? Life was great. You were just on track and others sinned against you, devalued you, took away your identity, your beauty, your image-bearing self in the way they've sinned against you. That is also true. But the reality of this, hear me, sin is at the basis of everything broken in our world, whether it's your sin, someone else's sin, or the reality that there is this overarching thing that is weighing the world down that is called sin, a breaking. The Jews called it a fracturing of shalom. Peace was gone. It was no longer interwoven as it should be. This is the reality of the culture where sin is present and causes the destruction around us. And so the only thing that can handle sin is not your ability. It is only God. Whether it be the sin of someone else or your own sin or the overarching of sin, there is but one answer, and the answer is found only in God, only within the God of this book. As Honestly, and I'll be straight, as pompous as that sounds, our book is right. It's the true story of the world. And so I hope maybe we could be a people who model this. Will we learn from history? Okay, we're going to truly move into this confession moment. But they go even further. In verse 16, I'm going to read again. They say, so they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord, and he became impatient over the misery of Israel. And so he then relents and comes in and is going to deliver the people. And it was after not just the confession, right? So they confess and say, Lord, I've done this. And he's like, all right, great, good for you. Well, I'm not going to come save you because I've done it 15 times before, and you didn't repent, right? You didn't actually return to me. You just acknowledge sin. Now, some of us might look at the story and say, isn't God just being petty right now? Like, is this God, like we've said, hey, we did this, we're sorry. Like, is God not just being, no, God's being wise. Right, like, like if I continuously lied to my wife, like every day I lied to Verity, and then she went to Jess and said, hey, Vince just keeps lying to me, right? Should I just continue to forgive him as if nothing happened? Should he not have to change his behavior? And if Jess were to tell her, yes, she is a terrible friend, and that is unwise counsel, right? Verity should shove Jess to the ground, right? And just do it for illustration's sake. <laughs> Push her to the ground. No. That is bad advice. That is unwise. It is not petty for Jess to say, no, he needs to change his behavior. And so when God's like, listen, guys, like, if I just let you keep coming and saying, ah, I'm sorry, we did it again, you're never going to learn. And I'm going to be smart enough, and I'm going to be loving enough to say, hey, like, I want more for you than to find yourself in this same place of brokenness and sin and pain over and over and over again. That I will say no. This isn't God being petty, this is God being wise and loving. And then the people of God, they don't stop there. They don't stop there. So they confess, and in verse 16, right, it says that they, they then got rid of their other gods and they served the Lord. This is a picture of repentance, right? This, this is a picture. It goes beyond just confession. It moves into repentance when you actually act on the confession. See, when you've said, God, I'm sorry, this is what I've done, and then you begin to walk that out, that's repentance. So, okay, if, if this is you going towards sin in your life, in your path, in your idols, in your thing, and you're going, you say, okay, Lord, this is the wrong way, this is the wrong way, this is the wrong way, but you keep going, that is not repentance. That does not cause growth. That will not draw you closer to the Lord. If you, okay, I'm in sin, I'm in sin, but I'm going to keep going. Repentance is going, acknowledging because of the grace and goodness of God, and turning around and walking the other direction. That is repentance, and that is what the people of God are called to. Get rid of the gods among you and serve the Lord. Do not just be a people who speak this, but be a people who live this. Last night, Verity and I were driving home from New Orleans, and I, actually, she doesn't even know that this happened. 
We didn't, sorry, yeah, we didn't drive from New Orleans. We drove from Phoenix. Uh, but we, <laughs> we were in New Orleans, and we, we flew back in a plane, and, uh, and then we landed, I don't know, like in the evening. So we started driving back, and um, I don't know how familiar you guys are with Phoenix, but about five miles to 10 miles north of the North 101 loop, okay, there's uh, Daisy Mountain, I think is the name of the exit, okay? And so I'm cruising up 17 North, we're coming home to flag. It's like this point midnight, so we're tired, and I just wanna get home to get the bags. I knew we had to get up early. And so I'm driving, I get off at Daisy Mountain, I go over to the Circle K, okay? Fill up gas, get a coffee, I'm juiced up, let's do this, time to drive. And I come back out, I get back on the freeway, and I start driving, okay? And I'm just going, and I'm in the zone, I'm memorizing this thing for Easter, so I'm focused. And then I go, and then all of a sudden, I look up, and I'm passing the 101. And I realize it's much brighter than it should be on the 17 North going up to Flagstaff. And I realize I've gone south, right? <laughs> I got on the wrong direction and didn't notice it for 10 miles, okay? So that's... I was a lot of prayer. I was praying for all of you individually, so it's just that. You're welcome. And, um, and so I, I finally realized it. Now, now, I just want you to picture this. If, if I stay driving south, okay, I so I'm driving, okay, gosh, I've done a stupid thing. I've decided to go south when we need to go north. I'm just going to keep doing it. <laughs> Let's see if eventually we'll come all the way around the globe, and I will get there, Right? because the world is a sphere. Okay? <laughs> Eventually I'll get there. No, that would be dumb. It's not enough that I acknowledged that I was going the wrong direction. I had to get off the freeway. I had to loop around. I had to get back on the freeway, and I had to start driving north to Flagstaff. Okay. If I didn't do that, I'm just a fool who's driving away from home where my family is. Okay. I'm just a fool. Guys, I indict myself as much as anyone in the room, and I want to remind ourselves of that over and over and over, because this stuff can be heavy, and I never want it to come across as if I'm not dealing and struggling with all of this. But I'm a fool if I continue down the path of my sin and my idolatry and my brokenness, my pursuit of security for my family. Not that that's not a, listen, I should have security for my family, but not at the expense of idolatry, right? Not at making such an idol of it that I forsake God and people for the sake of me having a big enough bank account number where I'm comfortable with where Finley's going to college and fill in your thing, okay? I'm a fool if I know my sin and I can acknowledge it, but I keep doing it. And Israel, Israel, poor Israel, poor us, right? We just keep doing it. And they keep doing it. So here is this glimmer of hope moment. Like this is the moment when, when right, gosh, I'm doing it again. When Obi-Wan finds Anakin, like this is it. We've done it. We found the hero. We've, this is finally going to crack the case. The cycle will stop here for the people of Israel. Jephthah will be our God because the culture has changed. The people now live in repentance of him. Okay. We're going to talk through more of whether or not this repentance was true. I'm going to read one verse and we'll color it a bit more later. But it says this in 2 Corinthians 7.10. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly, worldly grief produces death. Okay. And so we'll... We'll strive for that in just a moment. Let's tell, let me tell you uh, Jephthah's narrative rather quickly here, okay? Just so we move through the story, we're going to highlight some points, okay? But there's a lot of text, so I'll try and read as much as good. But we'll move into now what is the salvation part of the cycle, the fourth part of the cycle. Verse 1 of chapter 11. Now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty warrior, but he was the son of a prostitute. Gilead was the father of Jephthah, and Gilead's wife also bore him sons, and when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall not have an inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob. And worthless fellows collected around Jephthah and went out with him. And after the time, 
the Ammonites made war against Israel. And when the Ammonites made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to bring Jephthah from the land of Tob. And they said to Jephthah, come and be our leader that we may fight against the Ammonites. So Jephthah, a son of Gilead, is cast out by his brothers. Like, listen up, man, you are literally a brother from another mother. And you are now gone because we don't like you. You're not one of us. And so they kick Jephthah out. But here's what happens. The Ammonites come in and they're like, it's wartime. So they begin to oppress Israel. And so the boys, the brothers go back. The people of Gilead go back. And they say, Jephthah, you are a mighty warrior. We need you now. we, We didn't want you then, but now you're of use to us. So come back and serve us and lead us. Notice if you look through the book of Judges, if you've been tracking with us, this is the first time, at least explicitly told to us, where God does not specifically raise up the judge himself, but rather the people go and they raise up their own judge. So before it was, and God raised up this guy, and God raised up this gal, and God ra- and on and on, these judges were raised up by the Lord, but now for the first time, explicitly we get that Jephthah, And God, I'm sure, has a hand in this as a sovereign God of the universe. But the people raise up Jephthah and say, you're going to be our guy. You fit the mold. You are a mighty warrior. You will go and deliver us. And so the people of God take matters into their own hands, which makes me just think for a moment, maybe their repentance was not all that true. Because at the first chance they get, instead of depending on God, they just go back to themselves. So they repent, they say, this, this isn't right, we've chased after other gods, but we're going to figure this one out. We'll, we'll find our own leader here. And so they go back to the guy that they had once ostracized, and Jephthah is now raised up to lead the people against the Ammonites. Okay, So here we go, verse 12, let's continue on in his story. When Jephthah sent messengers to the king of Ammonites and said, What do you have against me, that you have come to fight me against my land? And the king of the Ammonites answered the messengers of Jephthah, Because Israel, on coming up from Egypt, took away my land from the Arnon to the Jabbok and to the Jordan. Now therefore restore it peaceably. So Jephthah then, in response to that, goes through this long history lesson for them and says, That's just not true, and proves their claim false. And he wraps up in verse 27 says, I therefore have not sinned against you, and you do me wrong by making war on me. The Lord, the judge, decide this day between the people of Israel and the people of Ammon. But the king of the Ammonites did not listen to the words of Jephthah that he sent to them. So it's wartime. But I want to highlight Jephthah's moment here. Because oftentimes, and we'll talk about Jephthah can get a bad rap as being not a man of faith. I think at the first reading, you're like, man, why did you do this? And there's some bonehead decisions. But the faith that, that is enlisted in this one statement. Okay, okay, you disagree with where you're at. We know who we're going to let decide this? God. Like uh, Yahweh. He shall decide the fate. And so he immediately went from, okay, I'm the appointed leader as chosen by man, but I'm going to give the power back to God to decide who this belongs to. This is an incredible moment for Jephthah, a man trying, I think, trying to return the people of God back to faith, back to saying, no, 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 this is not supposed to be about me. Like, I'm not supposed to be your hero. Instead, it's supposed to be God the Almighty. He is the one who will decide. And and, and I think for us today, in such a hero worship type of culture, we're always trying to find someone else to identify with. And we're like, okay, if I could just be more like him, or if I could just be more like her. Constantly we need this resounding in our minds. Stop trying to be like any celebrity. Stop trying to be like someone across the street. Just try and be like Jesus. Now, if you grab on and find a mentor who's able to help point you that direction, then yeah, go after that mentor, cling to that person. Okay, we've got a mentor Sunday, I think, coming up next week. Is that right? Next week, we want you to find a mentor, get plugged in. These are people we trust, love Jesus. We'll give you the exact same advice. Emulate Christ. Emulate Jesus. Be a people, listen to me, be a people for each other in this room who says, Do not look to me, but look to Christ, okay? Look to Christ. Now, as I live as his example, you can do what we do, but look to Jesus. We are 
Okay, we are our brother's keepers. We are to care and invest. If you have a brother or sister who is in pain or is in sin, you are supposed to engage. You are supposed to love. You are supposed to show up. We are in this together, okay? So Jephthah is going to continue on in his narrative here <clears throat> down into verse 12. Um, nope, verse 29. Then the Spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's. And I will offer it up for a burnt offering. So Jephthah crossed over the Ammonites to fight against them, and the Lord gave them into his hands. Okay. So let's paint this picture one more time here. So Jephthah had just agreed, okay, um, God's going to handle this. But just to be sure, ju just to be sure that, God, you're going to be on our side, I'll make this vow to you. And, and let me be very clear. Vows were super heavy for the people of God. You did not take a vow willy-nilly. Like you had to, I just said willy-nilly. All right. <laughs> vows were binding vows were meant to be kept. If you made a vow to the Lord, Lord, I vow this, you are committing yourself to that thing. There was very few exceptions. You are committing yourself to fulfilling the vow. And so I think Jephthah's great sin in here is making this silly vow when I think he did not need to make it. I think he was going on this great track of like, God, no, you're, you're going to be the guy. Like, glory to you. You're going to do it. I trust you in faith, Lord. And I think he has this moment where he slips up. And he says, but just to guarantee it, let, let me place this vow. And he says, Lord, if you will indeed deliver the Ammonites in, into our hands, when I return home, when I go back to my house, whatever the first thing to come from my front door, I will sacrifice to you, okay? Now, the language here seems to communicate, the Hebrew language here seems to communicate that his expectation was for something masculine, a male figure, perhaps an animal, maybe the servant he didn't like, okay? But we're gonna see what he finds when he comes home. And it works, I should say, it works. So he's bound to this vow now, okay? The Ammonites are destroyed, they are given over. Salvation has happened for the people of God. And so he returns home, and I get, I'm guessing he's excited. Okay, verse 34. Then Jephthah came to his home at Mizpah, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with tambourines and with dances. She was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. And as soon as he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low, and you have become the cause of great trouble for me. For I have opened my mouth to the Lord, and I cannot take back my vow. And she said to him, My father, you have opened your mouth to the Lord. Do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth, now that the Lord has avenged you on your enemies, on the Ammonites. So he returns home, and again, we don't know exactly what he was expecting. But it certainly wasn't his one and only daughter. He wasn't expecting to return home and to fulfill his vow, he would have to take the life of his own daughter. But sure enough, she comes out dancing and cheering for the victory. And he tears his clothes and he realizes the depth and the weight of what has to happen. Okay. And in this strange turn of events, his daughter is okay with this. I, I find such beautiful faith in the midst of, honestly, a terrifying story. This beautiful faith of this daughter to say, okay, if the Lord, if this is what you have agreed with the Lord, then let's do it. And so she goes away with some friends into the mountains. They weep for what's about to happen. And she returns home. Multiple opportunities for her to take off. But she comes home and Jephthah fulfills his vow to the Lord, and he sacrifices his daughter. 
This scene is one of the harder, crazier scenes, I think, so far in the book of Judges. You know, it, it's one thing when, I, when we begin to hear all these stories of battle and war and there's all these things going on, but man, you, you got a father sacrificing his own daughter for this vow. This is a tough scene to process through. But I do want to say something, and I don't often bring this out, but I couldn't get away from it this week as much as I thought, man, is this the time for it? And, but I find it funny as I had some conversations about this text with people. And I try always to have a lot of conversations about this, about the text that we preach with a handful, like two or three non-Christians in my life that I know, man, are very critical of the scriptures, are very critical of, of church and Christianity in general. And, and oftentimes I, ta- I talk to them about some of the harder texts just to get their opinion on stuff. And they, they just started talking about how deplorable it is that this is something that would be in this holy book. And I would say one This book and this story is certainly descriptive and not prescriptive. This should be obvious. This is, in fact, the Bible does not condone. It it, it says no to human sacrifice. There are laws against human sacrifice. So what he does is sinful. He should not do it. Human sacrifice is not okay. The Bible does not condone. This is descriptive and not prescriptive. Do not go, obviously, and commit this act. But the more he talked to me about how deplorable it was to, that this would be there, I couldn't get away from this idea. And it's that somehow, somehow in our culture, we find this scene crazy and deplorable. And yet somehow in our culture, we seem to think it's okay to kill babies in the womb. I do not get, and I start talking to this guy, and I said, man, I hear you, and I think it's deplorable also, but we exist in a culture that advocates for this type of action when it is not convenient. So you've got a situation where a guy made a vow to the Lord which was binding and a worship to God, and so he goes through in faith, God, this is what you would want, albeit he might be wrong, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But he does it as a vow to God, yet we do it for convenience. And I don't get it how a culture can be upset about this and not upset about 50 million babies dead since 1973. And I know not everyone here agrees with that position. And again, if you're visiting and you're not a believer, you, you might not agree with that. And I'm sorry that it has to be this, this I don't know heavy and forward, but I couldn't get away from it this week. How silly and deceived are our minds that we can condone this one, advocate for this one action, and call this crazy and deplorable, and I will not believe it because of things like this in the Bible. So they go through with this vow, which is sinful, and here's where I think Jephthah maybe messes up one more time here is to think common sense in some of this, albeit a vow to God to fulfill before him. I believe Jephthah could have, could have said, God, man, this just doesn't seem right. Like, I know you're against human sacrifice, so surely then you wouldn't call me and cause me to fulfill this vow, to go through with this. But he does. But surely I think that could have been a way out for him. Practically. He could have gone to the high priest, and the high priest could have absolved his vow. Said, hey, I I made this, and and I shouldn't have made it. Here's what's happened. This will lead towards sin. Could you take care of this? And he could have, and he didn't. So there, there was a way out for Jephthah, but he was, I would say, amidst his faith, he was clouded. And I wonder if it was not by the culture around him, if it was not by just a lack of the depth of the understanding of the grace of God to say, I can let this one go. God will not destroy me if I don't go through with taking my daughter's life. But he does. And this is the true picture of where the people of God have landed. Driven out or brought up out of Egypt, blessed to be a blessing to the world, 
heralded as a holy people, a royal priesthood to bless the nation, set apart, given the spirit and the presence of God with them. These people had everything going for them, and yet they found themselves doing things that were deplorable. And is this not us? It's not every day. Do we not, and this is not just us, it's not you individually. Listen, it's an indictment on the church and the world. Do we not act out in things where you're like, wait a minute. I have the Holy Spirit that lives inside of me. A gift from God that I would be counseled and convicted, that I would experience the joy that comes from his presence. Have I not been set free by a gospel story that said the king of the world, the son of God died for me to set me free, not that I would return to my sin. Do we not do this? Is this not us? And should we not repent of the sin of our day and start to turn away and act as we should underneath the banner of God? We are fools if we do otherwise. We're just fools if we do otherwise. Before I move on and we wrap this up, I want to say this. Because anytime you bring up abortion, it is, it is a heavy thing, potentially for many even in the room. I just want to say, if you are here and you've been involved, if you had an abortion, if you pushed for one, wherever you were in that, I, I cannot tell you how much God loves you, forgives you, and desires to know you, if he doesn't already. Like you are his beautiful creation, you are not marred by this, you are not identified by this, you are set free by the blood of Christ if you trust him. There is no condemnation here. Each and every person, we could literally go down the line, will say something that is absolutely heinous that you would not know. We're all in the same boat, and that boat is a boat filled with sin and brokenness and terrible decisions. But praise God, because in the midst of that boat, there's the presence of God the cleansing blood of Christ that covers us. Okay, let's land this in verse one in chapter 12. He says this. The men of Ephraim were called to arms and they crossed the Zaphon and said to Jephthah, why did you cross over to fight against the Ammonites and did not call us to go with you? We will burn your house over uh, we'll burn your house over you with fire. That doesn't make sense. All right, verse five. And the Gileadites captured the fords of the Jordan against the Ephraimites. And when any of the fugitives of Ephraim said, let me go over, the men of Gilead said, are you an Ephraimite? When he said no, they said to him, then say Shibboleth. And he said, Sibboleth, for they could not pronounce it right. Then they seized him <laughs> and slaughtered him at the fords of the Jordan. This isn't funny. Uh, <laughs> at that time, 42,000 of the Ephraimites fell. Jephthah judged Israel six years. Then Jephthah Gilead died and was buried in his city in Gilead. Okay, the Ephraimites are upset again. They're upset at Gideon too. Gideon went the diplomatic route, flattered them a little bit, and they were appeased, and they moved on. Jephthah, I think probably reeling from losing his daughter, is not so gracious. And so a civil war ensues. The last act of Jephthah before he dies is to slaughter many of his own people. And so he invites them over and says, okay, as they cross over the Jordan, they do this word pronunciation. They should be able to pronounce this. If you are one of us, you'll pronounce it right. If you're not one of us, you'll pronounce it wrong. So shibboleth, sibboleth, pretty close. I was thinking about this. This would be like if we went to war with Canada. And we said, all right, Canadian, you one of us? He's like, yeah, of course. We said, say about. We said, a boot. Kill him. Right? We said, say, say bag. Bag? Kill him. Right? and we could go down the line. This is the equivalent. That's what's going on here. That's how they identified. You're not one of us. You're dead. The final act, act of our hero, Jephthah, the judge raised up by the people, was civil war. And then he dies. And then we know there's three more judges that come after him before we get into next week's text. And we find, hey, it, it didn't work. The cycle's not over. It just keeps repeating itself. 
The cycle keeps repeating itself. See, they tried to repent. But I wonder, was it, was it true? Was it not the worldly grief that Paul warns of in 2 Corinthians 7? Was it not a grief that was more concerned with their environment and the things that were happening to them than it was to grieving God whom created the world? Hear me. If you've created anything, if any of you have built anything, you know the best way that that thing works more than anyone else in the room. God created the world. He created you. He knows the best way that life, your body, this world, it should function. He knows it all. He knows it best. And so when he tells us live this way, we should heed the warning of the creator instead of going our own direction and doing our own thing. The cycle continues for the people of Israel. And I think it continues until this one glorious moment almost 2,000 years ago. When maybe Judges ends and they move into Kings, but we still see remnants of the same size. We go through the prophets in the Old Testament, but I think it all culminates and all points to this one moment in history where the cycle stops. And it stops with Jesus. And it stops with his cross which does not mean we will not sin again, but it does mean that there will no, no longer be condemnation for those who are in him. You see, Jesus is the true and better Jephthah's daughter who willingly goes to the cross, who is willingly sacrificed just as well. But instead of going against the law, his death fulfills the law perfectly once and for all that we need not do it again. So the cycle stops with Christ. And so today, in 2016, we celebrate, we worship, we sit underneath the banner of the gospel and the cross of Jesus, who once and for all cleanses us, sets us free, allows us to wake up tomorrow morning not fearing condemnation or being overtaken by others, but rather a celebration because grace and mercy have appeared forever. This is why we're here. Like this, this is, if you want to know, this is why we come to church every Sunday. It's to talk about the guy that stopped the cycle, that saved a people, that gave us his only son, who went to the cross willingly to die for you and for me, that we would not enter into this over and over and over like the people of God in the past, but rather we would take this truth and now go to the world and be part of the solution and the redemption and the care of the people of this world and the creation that God has made. So now we are a sent people to go. So where we land this is simple. Okay. We're all, I think, at some level, trying to be, whether you realize it or not, God-honoring people. Like there's, there's, this, there's this thing, I want to be good, or whatever it may be. And I'd attribute that to, to God. But we're all going to fail. The role for us now is to acknowledge it, to repent of it, and to now try and live that to the best of our ability to a watching world whose only true hope is the gospel with which we possess. Okay, That's it. As so we look back on the story, we say, that is us. And we can learn from history. And so church, Redemption Church in 2016, February 7th, Super Bowl Sunday. You guys, you gals, you have been set free. The cycle has stopped because of Jesus. You don't need to return to your sin. You don't need to continue down the path that you are. You can turn and return home. You can go back to God. Go back to the Father be embraced in his arms. Experience the love and the forgiveness and the joy that comes from his presence. And then bring others along with you in that journey. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for calling us to repentance. God, because it sounds like 
repentance is a thing that you're just taking away fun and freedom from us. But in reality, God, as we step into it, we know that you are the God who created us in this world. So God, you know how this life is best lived. You know the way we're supposed to be treating one another. You know how we're supposed to value one another. In the church, out of the church, across the globe, to care for all people, to be a blessing to all people. God, we confess today that we have fallen short of that, that we've hurt people around us, that we're hypocrites, that we make bad decisions. But God, we celebrate the gospel that sets us free today once and for all. That reminds us that as, even as we leave today, God, there is no sin that continues to destroy the people of God. God, we can get caught up, we can get entangled. Lord, pull us from those. God, may we be a repentant people who daily, God, confess and walk the other direction in pursuit of you. I know I can't do this in my own strength. I don't think anyone else in here can either. And so Holy Spirit, we need you to come to convict, to counsel, to transform us and make us more like Jesus. God, would you bless this community that, God, we would go and be a blessing to our city, individually and corporately. God, we love you. We thank you. Lastly, Lord, I want to pray for any who would be here, God, that, that, uh, that don't know you, that maybe just have said enough with you, have rejected you, whatever the story may be. And, God, today's text is not just one that's just really exciting to hear, I think, oftentimes like I said, been used as ammunition against you, Lord. I pray more than anything, God, that you would just bring about your glory and reveal yourself in a powerful way that only you can. Thank you for your story, Lord, and thank you for letting us be part of it. It's your name we pray. Amen. All right, so now as always, we take